Chapter Twenty One of Quicksand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Quicksand by Nella Larson. Chapter Twenty One. On leaving the mission, Helga Crane had started straight back to her room at the hotel. With her had gone the fattish yellow man who had sat beside her. He had introduced himself as the Reverend Mr. Pleasant Green, in proffering his escort for which Helga had been grateful, because she had still felt a little dizzy and much exhausted. So great had been this physical weariness, that as she had walked beside him, without attention to his verbose information about his own field, as he called it, she had been seized with a hateful feeling of vertigo, and obliged to lay firm hold on his arm to keep herself from falling. The weakness had passed as suddenly as it had come. Silently they had walked on, and gradually Helga had recalled that the man beside her had himself swayed slightly at their close encounter, and that frantically for a fleeting moment he had gripped at a protruding fence-railing. That man! Was it possible? As easy as that! Instantly across her still half-hypnotized consciousness little burning darts of fancy had shot themselves. No. She couldn't. It would be too awful. Just the same, what or who was there to hold her back? Nothing. Simply nothing. Nobody. Nobody at all. Her searching mind had become in a moment quite clear. She cast at the man a speculative glance, aware that for a tiny space she had looked into his mind, a mind striving to be calm a mind that was certain that it was secure, because it was concerned only with things of the soul, spiritual things, which to him meant religious things. But actually a mind by habit at home amongst the mere material aspect of things, and at that moment consumed by some longing for the ecstasy that might lurk behind the gleam of her cheek, the flying wave of her hair, the pressure of her slim fingers on his heavy arm. An instant's flashing vision it had been, and it was gone at once escaped in the aching of her own senses and the sudden disturbing fear that she herself had perhaps missed the supreme secret of life. After all there was nothing to hold her back, nobody to care. She stopped sharply, shocked at what she was on the verge of considering, appalled at where it might lead her. The man—what was his name?—thinking that she was almost about to fall again, had reached out his arms to her. Helga Crane had deliberately stopped thinking. She had only smiled, a faint, provocative smile, and pressed her fingers deep into his arms until a wild look had come into his slightly bloodshot eyes. The next morning she lay for a long while, scarcely breathing, while she reviewed the happenings of the night before. Curious. She couldn't be sure that it wasn't religion that had made her feel so utterly different from dreadful yesterday. And gradually she became a little sad because she realized that with every hour she would get a little farther away from this soothing haziness, this rest from her long trouble of body and of spirit, back into the clear bareness of her own small life and being, from which happiness and serenity always faded, just as they had shaped themselves. And slowly bitterness crept into her soul. Because, she thought, all I've ever had in life has been things, except just this one time. At that she closed her eyes, for even remembrance caused her to shiver a little. Things, she realized, hadn't been, weren't enough for her. She'd have to have something else besides. It all came back to the old question of happiness. Surely this was it. 
Just for a fleeting moment Helga Crane, her eyes watching the wind scattering the grey-white clouds and so clearing a speck of blue sky, questioned her ability to retain, to bear this happiness at such cost as she must pay for it. There was, she knew, no getting round that. The man's agitation and sincere conviction of sin had been too evident, too illuminating. The question returned in a slightly new form. Was it worth the risk? Could she take it? Was she able? Though what did it matter, now? And all the while she knew in one small corner of her mind that such thinking was useless. She had made her decision, her resolution. It was a chance at stability, at permanent happiness, that she meant to take. She had let so many other things, other chances, escape her. And anyway there was God. He would perhaps make it come out all right. Still confused and not so sure that it wasn't the fact that she was saved that had contributed to this after-feeling of well-being, she clutched the hope, the desire to believe that now at last she had found someone, some power, who was interested in her, would help her. She meant, however, for once in her life to be practical, so she would make sure of both things, God and man. Her glance caught the calendar over the little white desk, the 10th of November. The steamer Oscar II sailed to-day. Yesterday she had half thought of sailing with it. Yesterday! How far away! With the thought of yesterday came the thought of Robert Anderson, and a feeling of elation, revenge. She had put herself beyond the need of help from him. She had made it impossible for herself ever again to appeal to him. Instinctively she had the knowledge that he would be shocked, grieved, horribly hurt even. Well, let him! The need to hurry suddenly obsessed her. She must. The morning was almost gone, and she meant, if she could manage it, to be married to-day. Rising, she was seized with a fear so acute that she had to lie down again, for the thought came to her that she might fail, might not be able to confront the situation. That would be too dreadful. But she became calm again. How could he, a naive creature like that, hold out against her? If she pretended to distress, to fear, to remorse. He couldn't. It would be useless for him even to try. She screwed up her face into a little grin, remembering that even if protestations were to fail, there were other ways. And, too, there was God. End of chapter 21